0: Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, coming to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Nighttime is a half hour of just thoughtful discussion. Well, if you want to call it a discussion, maybe it should be thoughtful ramblings. Either way, I hope that you take the thoughts that you're having to God and open the Bible and see what God has to say. A reminder that anything that I ever say is from my perspective and my understanding. And although I wouldn't sit here and make it a goal to fool you or lie to you, I'm still one who's growing and developing and understanding more of who God is and how I apply that in my life. So I encourage you to stay in God's Word, read it, study it, know what it says. And you'll know if you're doing things right, because when you know the Scriptures, you'll live differently. If you're not living differently, you don't really know what the Bible says. A while ago, I was going through parts of Ecclesiastes, and I thought, hmm, I should probably continue that so tonight i want to spend some time in ecclesiastes chapter 5. it says this starting with the first verse guard your steps when you go to the house of god to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before god For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay for what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many. There is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, Verse 20 again, for he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Ecclesiastes is full of wisdom, obviously, and as we read it, we begin to understand things in our life that may be out of whack, things that we need to adjust. Let me start at the beginning again and just throw some comments out as we read through. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is to better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. When you and I go into church on Sundays, why do we go? What are we expecting? What is our motivation? What is our purpose in going? We need to be careful to go with the right motive. We should draw near, listen to what's going on. Because God can speak to us while we're in the house of God, and that's the purpose of being there. We can worship. We can be a part of what God's doing there. Are we looking for a time with God when we're in the house of God? The most important thing in any of our lives should be listening to what God has to say. He can say it through donkeys, if he chooses. He can say it through... Teachers like myself who are on podcasts, he can say it through pastors, he can say it through anybody that he chooses to use. Do I specifically position myself so that I can learn every time I'm in the presence of God's Word being taught? The second verse of the fifth chapter says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's an interesting statement. Reminds me so often of how I might justify myself to God. Many words, many, many words to try and justify maybe sin, greed, whatever it is I'm trying to justify. The proper response sitting before God is to be one that's a student, to sit there in quietness and learn. If God is speaking to you today, you need to be quiet and listen to him, not interject your thoughts of how it should be. God is that kind of teacher, Whereas you're in his presence, the best thing you can do is be silent and listen. Be totally silent. Let the Spirit of God teach you. Open the Word of God. Learn from it. Don't justify things in your life that don't match what God is saying, but listen to God. Let our words be few when we're in the presence of God, unless He asks us to speak. The third verse. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. We can dream all we want. We can talk about what can be done. But is this really of God? Sometimes I think we legislate God right out of the formula, if there is a formula. We get an idea of something that could be done. It could be done so magnificently, so we start to legislate it into existence. Rather than just spending quiet time thinking and praying and asking God to provide. For a dream comes much business, and a fool's voice with many words. If I have to convince you of something with many words, then I'm probably not going to convince you. When I looked at Jesus, often his answers were short, to the point. He was often silent. He certainly wasn't one who went around saying things before he thought. he thought it through and said things that he needed to say that would be helpful to the people around him. A fool uses a lot of words when a few words would suffice. When you vow, verse 4, a vow to God, do not delay in pain it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. The sixth verse goes on to tell us, Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that, It was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So often we say things without thinking, then we try and justify what we said. We shouldn't do that. See, the whole idea is to really think before we speak. If we speak first and we think later, often our words come back to haunt us. This is easy for me to apply because I like speaking. I'm one who's a verbal learner, so I like talking so I can hear what I'm thinking. And then I put them in the right places in my brain and try and sort it out. But not everyone around me is a verbal thinker, and I have to be careful the words that I use. It's really better for me to be careful that my mouth doesn't lead me into sin than when I do something wrong to not try and justify it but to admit that I did it wrong. The seventh verse tells us that for when dreams increase, the words grow many. There is a vanity, but God is the one you must fear. We can dream about things, and before you know it, the things we're dreaming about are controlling us. We're out there working on those things. We're we're no longer thinking of our dependency upon God. We're thinking maybe of our dependency on money or on ourself or Around the church itself, but not in God anymore. God's the one we should fear. God is the one we should communicate with on a regular basis and enjoy and listen to. He'll position us so that if the work gets done, we don't get the glory. If you're doing God's work, God's way in this world, then people don't see you as doing it. They see God is doing it. I think that's one of those more difficult things that we have to deal with, because our culture is so bent on being performed to. There are so many performers that can get up in front of us and wow us. Whether it be on the internet or YouTube or whether it be in church on the platform, there's many people who could wow us with their talents and their abilities. I think the most important thing that anybody could do is help the people participate in the worship service. And when they're finished, if the people have lost themselves by totally concentrating on who God is, then that worship leader is doing what they should do. If when I talk about the plans that God has for Silver Birch Ranch, Nicolet Bible Institute, or the other places that we're associated with. If it's so big that we can't do it, and God has to supply, or we fail, then I'm probably in the right position. Because people can see that it's not Dave Wager who can provide for a ministry this size. It's only God. Sometimes our dreams become our God, and God is the only one that should be God. I need to be very careful that my dreams never become my God, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Perhaps you're a business person or you have these dreams of what it looks like to be successful around you somewhere. Maybe this verse should go up so that you can understand the importance of fearing God and not succeeding on your dreams or setting your dreams or having your dreams control you. Oh, there's nothing wrong with dreaming and dreaming big. But unless you're dreaming the impossible, you're not dreaming big enough. Because God is the one who can be clearly seen in the impossible situations. Think of how we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think about how we talk about Daniel. Think about how we talk about Joseph. Think about Noah. Think about Moses and the parting of the Red Sea, the provision of food in the desert, the provision of water in the desert. These weren't hard situations. These were impossible situations. If God did not provide, there would be total destruction that would have taken place. Now, how do you and I live in that realm? I don't think that we go out and tempt God. We don't go up on a roof of a building and say, if you're really God, I can jump off a 10-story building and I won't be hurt. I'll just get up and walk away. We don't tell God what he needs to do in order to be God. We don't say that. What we do is we meet with God quietly. We submit to him on a regular basis. We get up and do what's right in life. And then we find ourselves in the middle of impossibilities that God takes care of. And it's beyond our comprehension how that happens. Once again, as I walk the grounds of Silver Birch Ranch, I I so often am amazed at what he has done, how he has provided. The fact that I am still here after 56 summers sometimes causes me to just sit and wonder, how in the world could that be? Because God is faithful. The the eighth verse in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this gain for land and every way a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. There's another defining verse that would be really good for you to read on a regular basis. Because we all know that if we love money, that's going to destroy us. You've heard me say often, it's so easy for us to get to the point where we use what we should love and love what we should use. Nobody should love money. Money is a tool to be used for those we love. First and foremost, we love God. Secondly, we love one another. Money is a tool to make sure that we can take care of those we love. I need to make sure my wife is cared for, my children are cared for. I need to make sure that I do what God puts on my heart with my resources. Then I'll be okay. Some people say that that could be irresponsible, that you could give away money that you should be putting away for yourself. I would say that if you're listening to God, that you are never irresponsible, no matter what happens or what the appearance is in this world. Listening to God is the responsible thing to do. I don't know what God's going to put on your heart concerning your resources, but listening to God is the only responsible thing for you to do in that. If he tells you to give away all your money, it's God who tells you that you should do it. If he tells you to save money, it's God who tells you that. Because money isn't what we love and money isn't what we serve. Money isn't why we even work. We work to honor God. Money just comes and we use it as a tool for God's work and for God's people. See, when you see it as a tool, it's totally different. Some people I know can struggle with the analogy because they love tools. They love a good drill or a good hammer. I understand that. But really, you shouldn't love tools. You use tools for those you love. And money is one of those tools. But since we live in America, the United States of America, we're people who basically don't ever consider the fact that we might be greedy or that money might control us. So this Ecclesiastes 5:10 is a great place to go and check out the definition of those who love money. Let me read it again for you. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Great defining verse. I tell young people when they are beginning to look at a career to go into that money shouldn't be the factor, that they should look and see what God has laid on their heart, the burden that is there. Ask God to lead and guide and go do something that's in the wheelhouse that he made just for you. Go do something that you were made for so that you can enjoy the work every day of your life and you'll get paid something. Some of you are getting paid way too much. It doesn't mean that you can ignore the needs around you because you get to make all the decisions about your money. If you make way too much, you should be asking God what you're supposed to do with it. If you make way too little, don't complain. Thank God that you have anything at all. Perhaps one of those that has too much will share with you. You see, God is the one that we trust, not money. And it's far more fulfilling to go into life enjoying the toils that we have to do in life than just enjoying the money that comes with the toil. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Verse 11 goes on to say, When goods increase, they increase. Who eat them? And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? There are times where you get more stuff, and when you get more stuff, more gets consumed. I have stuff. I have a John Deere gator that I use to work around the ministry here. Well, that means I have to maintain the gator. I have to put gas in the gator. I have to move it from here to there. I have to fix it when I crash into trees and all that kind of stuff. You know, the more that I have, the more it gets used by whoever. By myself and by others. And then... I'm kind of a slave to it. When good increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Well, I've seen that. I've been a berry hog in my life where I go out in the woods when blackberries and other berries are ripe. And I pick a lot and I spend time doing it. love doing that. Then I put them on a table. And maybe we have guests over and they, they seem to put heaping portions on their plate. And something that I thought I had to store for many years, I watched people eat and the berries disappeared, and they loved them. I saw that my attitude towards these berries was not healthy. Because as goods increase, so do the people who eat them. Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt. Have you ever wondered if the money that you have is actually hurting you rather than helping you? Is it keeping you from trusting God? Is it keeping you from thinking about what you should be doing because you're always checking in on how much you have? Is it lying to you by making you think that you can find happiness and purpose and fulfillment with more money? Sometimes the riches that we have are keeping us from the important things in life. I remember a young person asked me once if I would go put money down to try and get a lottery ticket and I I just said, No. Well why not? You think they're evil? I said, Well, honestly, I'm very satisfied with where God put me. I I don't need to put money into something that just might bring me lots of money back. I need to live my life in a way that would honor God and use all that I have in a way that would honor him. And I'm not sure hoping for a million dollars is honoring God. You know, my Heavenly Father honestly could give me a million dollars tomorrow. He'd give me a million dollars today. I, I'm i not sure I know people that have millions. I might. I mean, it's not like I have friends and ask them what their bank accounts are. And There are some, I'm sure, that probably have millions. But I, I'm not one who thinks that I need to pursue that. In fact, my Heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I, I'm i always going to be taken care of because my Heavenly Father's in charge. And he has all the resources of the universe at his display. He can do whatever he wants with those things. I am the most secure person in the universe because my Heavenly Father owns everything and loves me. Now, if you make a lot of money in this world, you could say the same thing I just said because it's not the money that'll care for you, it's God. If you don't have any money in this world, you can say the same thing because it's God who loves you. If you're not one of His children, then I guess you're stuck taking care of yourself. But I am one of His children. I've understood my sin that separated me from him, and I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. So I am one of his children. And because of that, I'll be with him for eternity. And I can call him Abba Father. I can come to him and talk to him about whatever the needs are. And he is totally capable and desirous to make sure I'm cared for. Now, he may not put me in a position in this world where I'm a millionaire. He may not do that. Or billionaire or gazillionaire or whatever it might be. But even if he did, it wouldn't be the money that would take care of me. It would be my Heavenly Father. Isn't it tragic when you and I come to give people gifts and they pay more attention to the gift than us? They ignore us because the gift is so wonderful. I wonder how often God has to think about that with me. Maybe he would give me something, but I would so focus on what he gave me that I would ignore him. That would be a gift that would be a detriment to life. What things in your life cause you to forget who God is and focus on something other than him? In the 14th verse, it says, Those riches were lost in a bad venture in the father of his son, but has nothing in his hand. 16th verse, There is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? I came with nothing. One day when I leave this earth, I leave with nothing. 18th verse, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun a few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Indeed it is. I like how the chapter ends in verse 20 where it says, For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. In this world where there is so much toil, so much strife, so much anger and hatred, it is possible for us to be consumed with what God is doing in our relationship with him and seeing him care for us that we could be occupied with the joy in our heart of what it means to walk with God and enjoy Him. That's a very special place when you think about it. Well, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and some random thoughts. I'm not sure those thoughts are all the thoughts that you should have, so I encourage you. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Read it. Think about it. Talk to God about it. Use some of those verses to help you define if there's a problem or not. And I do thank you again for sharing a half hour, focusing on what's true, so that we can be those who are effective at the mission God gives to us in life. Because God doesn't need us, but He wants us. We might as well enjoy the mission. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now.